0: Hello, everyone. This is Andres Portilla, Managing Director and Head of Regulatory Affairs here at the IIF, and I'm very glad to welcome you to a new edition of our IIF Global Regulatory Update podcast, where we discuss key trends in regulatory policy. Today, I'm really excited to welcome a guest that I think needs very little introduction, and that is uh, Jose Maria Roldan, uh, who just days ago stepped down as chairman and CEO of the Spanish Banking Association, where he had been since April 2014. Before that, Jose Maria spent 13 years as director general at the Banking Regulation and Financial Stability Department of the Bank of Spain, was a member of its executive board. Jose Maria has had a number of important roles internationally, including chairing the Basel Committee SIG group, as well as the joint forum. And I think something that many people don't know is that Jose Maria was the first chairman of CEPs, which was the forerunner of the EBA, the European Banking Authority, and that he was also president of FATF. Jose Maria, thank you for joining us and welcome. My pleasure,
1: Andres. It's a pleasure to be talking to you.
0: Thank you. Well, I'm, I'm really excited to have this conversation with you, Jose Maria, because I think, as I, as I mentioned, when, when we discussed doing this, you can draw from vast experience in the public sector, you know, your experience with the Basel Committee, Bank of Spain, and SEPS in Europe, but also, you know, having had now this opportunity in the private sector. So you've seen all issues from both sides. And I really wanted to start with a question about where are we in the regulatory cycle? I mean, you've seen the industry and the world economy going through, you know, one of its most significant episodes, the, the great financial crisis. You've experienced now very vividly the crisis of COVID. And we're just now at the very beginning of a new economic and, and certainly geopolitical phase. So lots of change, and all those changes have you know represented a lot to financial regulation. The great financial crisis in terms of the big tsunami, I think you came up with that word to describe the response and then a very rapid and quick response also to the COVID crisis. So where are we in the regulatory cycle? Will Do we expect more or less regulation? What are some of those challenges that policymakers are facing today? Well,
1: I think that we need to understand, you know, the regulatory cycle in terms of, of, of crisis, reaction to the crisis, relaxation after, you know, the memories of the crisis are, are forgotten. And then, you know, When a new crisis hits, we start the process all over again. The bigger the crisis, the greater the reaction, you know, and the longer it stays with us. The global financial crisis, the Great Recession was a huge crisis. So it's natural that the reaction coming from that was very strong and and very powerful on the side of regulators. I think that the COVID crisis is a little bit a false crisis in the sense that, uh, you know, almost no bank failed because of this. And in fact, banks have almost not noticed that in terms of capital, profitability, non-performing loans. So in that respect, I think that COVID has not changed the picture that we are, you know, far from the last crisis, the big crisis, and that the regulatory cycle is petering out. At the same time, I, I think that I have put in this great title of, of the regulatory cycle being finished, you know, three cabits. The first one is that we should try to evaluate how the new regulatory paradigm post-crisis has worked, so the review of the post-crisis reforms is is needed. There is an area, you know, buffers, capital buffers and liquidity buffers, where I think that uh, some work needs to be done. Resolution is also an area that I think that would benefit from that type of review. So the first caveat is that, well, we should look how it is operating in practice because uh, we have seen. A COVID crisis and and how it operates uh, under the new regime, you know, the capital and solvency of banks. The second caveat is that there are new areas that are emerging that we have not foreseen you know, ten years ago. And in particular, I would highlight two ESG related issues, but in particular uh, the E of climate change. I think it's it's going to be an area where potentially new regulation will be needed, and this is critical that the regulation is clear and. It offers a pathway to the industry, to the banks in particular, but more generally speaking to the financial industry. And the other area is decentralized finance, DeFi, where, uh, of course, we have seen a crisis in the last week, but at the same time, you know, we know that this is not going away. Uh, We are talking about cryptocurrencies, stable coins, uh, central bank digital currencies, but farther from that, blockchain technology being applied, generally speaking, you know, digital revolution taking place in the financial system. These two areas, I think that there are areas where we will need more regulation. And finally, my third caveat is that with the experience of so many years, you know, I see regulation as a machine, you know. You have committees of specialized people on the side of the banks, specialized people on the side of the industry. They come together and they never propose, you know, writing down regulation. They always come up with new ideas, with new suggestions. So a little bit cynical view of regulation as a machine. I think that the machine is still operating and is still working. We may have, you know, uh, something coming out of the committee's structures around the industry and around the regulators in, in the coming years.
0: I think you're right. Whenever we think that we're done, then something else comes up or someone else comes with a, with a new idea to rewrite or revise what we have done in the previous you know, 10 years. Also, in regards to having been on, on both sides of the aisle, do you have sort of some lessons learned, things that, you know, when you were a regulator, you really didn't think of or didn't appreciate the same way that once you were in the private sector or, or things that now in the private sector, you say, well, private sector doesn't really appreciate this from, from the regulators. What, what can you tell us of lessons learned from being on both sides of the aisle?
1: I have always felt a little bit the interface. When I was at the Bank of Spain, because I had a lot of dialogue with the industry, also international dialogue with the industry, and now that I'm on the banking side, I also feel a little bit like the interface of the banks with the regulator. So in this interface type of approach, some very simple lessons. I think that on the side of the banks, the mentality of banks is business as usual type of mentality. And business as usual may comprise, well, normal times or volatile times, crisis times. But what really, you know, the banks sometimes do not understand is that the regulators, by design, almost by mentality, they are always in the worst case scenario. So in normal times, they think that a crisis will come. In crisis times, what they think is that the crisis is going to be bigger and deeper than everybody is uh, foreseeing. So this type of disconnect between the mentality of the banks that is business as usual, well, why the regulator is asking for that, and the regulator asking for that because they are thinking of really the economy going south, yields going up, markets getting crazy. That's the type of mentality of regulators. They think on the unexpected losses in terms of technical language. Banks are on the expected loss world. Regulators are on the unexpected loss world. And I think that sometimes there's this type of disconnect. On the regulatory side, what I would say, in particular in the last decade, what I have missed is a couple of things. First, you know, is, a little bit more of support to the profitability of the banks in the sense that if you have a banking industry that is very leaky, that is very solvent, but is not profitable, this is a receipt for disaster down the road. And I think that sometimes in the last decade, there was no sensitivity for the need to have a banking industry that was profitable. So if you overburden the industry with regulation that makes profitability mission impossible, this is not going to be good for financial stability. It's not going to be good for you as a regulator. That's the first thing I would highlight. The second one is a little bit, you know, that they need to be aware of the cost of regulation. And I'm not saying the direct cost of regulation, but uh, also the cost in terms of distraction, you know. Nowadays, if you talk to board directors of banks, they will always tell you the same. No matter which country, no matter which type of bank, they are overwhelmed by all the regulatory requirements that they have to face. And I think that has a cost and and regulators should be aware of the cost. And, you know, regulation has to be as complex as it needs to deliver, but no more complex than what is needed, because otherwise you are going to impose cost, direct cost, but also cost in terms of distraction on, on boards, on management, on what is really relevant.
0: Two comments to give credit on the regulatory side to, you know, individuals who have thought of these issues. Andrea Enria was one of the first that recognized the, the, the importance of a profitable banking industry. And he's got several speeches saying how profitability is even a supervisory concern. We want healthy, profitable banks. And then this idea of let's take a look back and see what works, what doesn't, how can we make the regime more simple and efficient? And that's around the quarrels here in the US. Maybe there are changing times in that regard here in the US going forward. We'll see. Speaking of how regulation and standards come about, I wanted to ask you about the role of the global standard setters. Hugely important. We have a Basel framework. We have a post-crisis regulatory architecture defined by the FSB, a new recovery and resolution regime also spearheaded by the FSB. Going forward and given the geopolitical tensions, difficult construct of the G20 these days because of some, of some of its members, how much harmonization, how much coordination can we expect going forward? Are there challenges to, to a global consensus on regulation?
1: Of course. I mean, I think that we have to recognize we are facing enormous challenges in terms of regulatory coordination at the worldwide level. Andres, I'm extremely worried about what is happening in the world. You mentioned I started my international career in the year 2001 I chaired the FATF through the blacklisting process that we went through. That was, you know, a very tough process. We have a stick, but we also have a carrot. The stick was declare countries non-cooperative jurisdictions. And the carrot was if you comply, you are going to be integrated in the global financial system. We have constructed that world from the G7 to the G20, the enlargement of the Basel Committee, the enlargement of, of the FSB and and i'm i'm really worried that you know uh not, i i know how we have created this this uh, you know regulatory cooperation around the world i don't know how we can you know uh, uh maintain it if we go through a, a a period of deglobalization and we have to recognize this is coming you know some years ago i mean it started with brexit started with the us change for, of trade policies So this is coming a few years down the road. And I have noticed that in my job, I have been eight years chairman of the Spanish Banking Association. The last four years and the first four years were totally different in terms of international cooperation. Even within Europe, we are becoming more domestic focused and more inward looking. All of us, even within the EU, not to mention, you know, the problems with Brexit, etc. Now we have the worry with Ukraine that is creating another tension that is very strong for understandable reasons. But what I fear a little bit is that I don't know how we can rebuild the system if we go backward. You know how to build a glass of wine. When the glass of wine falls to the ground, it's not going to be easy to reconstruct it. I don't have a receipt. I have a receipt for being worried. I don't have a receipt for a solution. But we should pay attention to this. As we do the things that we need to do in order to face the challenges that we are facing at the international level, we have to start thinking how we can construct things back to where they were before, all that has happened in the last four years, and in particular, in the last few months since the Ukrainian invasion.
0: I have to admit that I'm a bit pessimistic as you in terms of the prospects going forward, or at least I realize the challenges that cooperation and coordination is under, but you know we need to keep working at it. There are perhaps two areas where that level of coordination are going to be hugely important because there are areas where policy is being defined at the global level, at a stage where these two topics are in nascent or you know early stages. And one, obviously, is the climate risk agenda. There is enormous policy activity uh, going on, particularly in Europe. There hasn't been a day where there is no new pronouncement or comment or proposal by individual jurisdictions in Europe on this topic. But where we have not seen much yet from Basel and the FSB and others. So give us your take on where you think policy, global policy, on climate risk is going. What are sort of the key issues there and and how you see this topic evolving in the next couple of years? Well, the
1: first thing that we need to recognize is that if there is a global problem that we need to face is that of global warming, climate change. If a country in isolation acts, this is going to be useless. The world as a whole needs to act. So Here, coordination is fundamental if we want to solve the problem. The second element I would put on the table or on the podcast, to be more specific, is that, you know, I have a couple of phrases, a, a little bit sometimes cynical sense of humor type of phrases. The first one is that we need less apostles of climate change and more plumbers of climate change. There are so many people trying to deliver the message. Well, we understand the message very well. What we need to do is go into the details and try to sort it out. The other one is that in the brainstorming around climate change, we need a little bit less of a storm and a little bit more of brain. Eh? So uh, what I'm trying to say with this type of phrases is that we need to go to the specific, to the steps. Let's forget about, you know, mobilization. Everybody's mobilized. What we need to do is put a little bit of certainty, not about the end game, about how we are going to get there, Sometimes I have the feeling that on the side of the public sector, there is a little bit of too much pressure with too few directions. We need to recognize that this is a challenge that is of an enormous complexity, that we are probably at the infancy of trying to understand you know, how we can fight against it. We need to concentrate on positive incentives. We talk a lot about these days, about greenwashing. Greenwashing is an issue. Greenwashing is a problem. But I also put forward you know, and green is also a problem. By green basin, I mean that as a bank or a financial firm, that is exactly the same as the other competitors, but somehow it is being, you know, criticized for whatever the reasons, because they chose, you know, a, a model that is more transparent, a model that is tougher, or whatever. We need to put in place a system that gives the right incentives. No greenwashing, but no green as well. Finally. I think that we need a little bit of a clear, realistic guidance on the side of the public sector. The private sector never likes regulation, but, but if, if there is an area where we need guidance and we need clarity, it's in the area of climate change. We need a way forward. We need a little bit you know, more clarity on what needs to be done by all the actors involved. Sometimes I have the feeling that we are putting the cart ahead of the horses. I think that we need to be more specific and we need to give a little bit more down-to-earth approach to all these things. That's why, you know, this Apostles and Lammer's comment that I was mentioning at the beginning.
0: Yeah, I agree completely. And there are areas where the financial sector needs sort of policy clarity is, is this one in terms of defining business models and portfolio composition and business plans for the you know two, three, 5, 10, 15 years down the road. That clarity in policies is absolutely fundamental. Absolutely, absolutely. The last question that I wanted to ask you as an example of those areas where the global consensus is still needs to emerge is that of crypto. We have seen very significant market developments around crypto. Um, the last few weeks have been brutal in terms of the impact that that some of these assets have had in in the market a lot of hype a lot of discussion a lot of activity in terms of debate and and policy discussions here in the US the US congress hearings having some of those CEOs of almost some of those new companies coming to testify and then it gets very complex because it's not just about bitcoin or others but it is also about stable coins then the topic of central bank digital currencies and in general a new part of the financial sector that is seeing enormous inflows of investment and a lot of interest at the retail level so same kind of question where do you see policy uh, going forward uh, how do let's call traditional regulators cope with these new market participants and these new type of assets And in general, your take on on some of those crypto assets that are so popular these days.
1: Well, I think that what we need to understand is that as a regulator, whether you like it or not, this is going to stay. This is not going to go away. And I'm saying this because of the hype of these last weeks. People say, well, you know, look, there's a crisis around this new development. But at the same time, they are not going away. There's a crisis, but they are not disappearing. They are not going away. Some projects are going away as happens so many times in the in the financial markets. But generally speaking, this is an area that is not going to disappear from the desk of regulators. The second element I would highlight is that really we are talking about different animals. It's not the same, you know, a cryptocurrency a stable coin or a central bank digital currency. It's not the same in terms of the nature. It is not the same in terms of the protection that retail clients will need. Crypto is going to be riskier, more volatile, and there you you have to be more active in terms of protecting the clients, the financial clients. Uh, But we are really talking about very different animals with very different implications, both for the public sector, for the central banks, and for the financial industry, generally speaking. Some of these developments are going to have enormous impact for all actors. Here we mentioned, you know, banks, but at the same time, you know, imagine central banks, you know, when you are faced with a stable coin or when you need to develop your central bank digital currency, the challenge is going to be enormous. The reputational risk for the public sector, for the central banks, is going to be enormous. If you think about the stable coin, it's not the same being in the Fed or the European Central Bank or the Bank of Japan than being, you know, a central bank in an emerging market. In an emerging market, you know, stable coins can be a huge competitor for your currency. And basically, you run the risk of seeing how your monetary policy is taken away by this type of new development. So the challenges that are associated with these different types of animals are, in all cases, enormous. Central bank digital currencies, are they going to compete with deposits? What is going to be the implication for the banks, which are deposit taking institutions by definition? So enormous challenges coming from any of these developments. And finally, we need to regulate them. Yes, but uh, we need to think how enforcement of regulation is key. I always say, if you have a regulation that is not going to be enforceable, it's useless. So when you think about regulation, you need to think how you are going to enforce it. And sometimes in this new world, it's difficult how you are going to enforce it, for instance, money laundering in this type of cryptocurrency world. And the how you're going to regulate that is not just in terms of, am I going to be able to look how regulations are being complied with? We need to think where we are going to regulate that at the global level, but to what extent the combination global and local can be achievable, the type of things that the Basel Committee is doing, you know, is this applicable to this new world? And I think that we cannot ignore that in many of these areas, the competition aspects are going to be of paramount importance. So. This is an area where coordination at the international level has been more limited, and I think that we cannot ignore that. Andres, we are saying regulation as a machine. I mean, I think that we have a new ground where things will need to develop and where regulators need to react.
0: Absolutely, and I think we're just beginning to scratch the surface in terms of the policy implications from this market and, and industry development. Well, Jose Maria, I wish we had more time, but we are I think we cover a lot in in a little time, but especially we, we managed to really talk about the key trends that are going to shape policy going forward. So, Jose Maria, thank you so much for joining us today. That was a great conversation and hope to have you back.
1: Thank you very much, Andres. It has been a pleasure and thanks to you and to the IIF for this podcast. Thank you very much
0: to our audience. Well, thank you for joining us at this new edition of the IIF Global Regulatory Update podcast. And please remember to subscribe to our podcast wherever you get yours. Thank you so much.